the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. I am your esteemed host, as always, Terry Cook. Really appreciate you listening. Um, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, take a moment now to go and click subscribe wherever you're listening, or if you're feeling extra generous, leave us a nice little five-star review. Always helps us and always makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside as well. Today, in this episode, it's like a little bonus episode for you. We have got Lynn Barry. Now, Lynn is the current chair of the ADI NJC and also the chair of NASP. Um, we're speaking all things NASP, the ADI NJC, and a little bit about Lynn as well. So, yeah, I'm going to let us crack on with the show and I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you at the end. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast, and today we are joined by a very special guest in Lynn Barry. How are you today, Lynn? I'm fine, thank you, Terry. Brilliant. It's great that you've joined us. I really appreciate it. Second time of what out of what I know is a very busy diary for you at the minute. Um, so I'm just going to start off just by asking us to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So my name's Lynn. I'm Lynn Barry. Um, I've been an ADI for longer than I care to remember, to be honest, well over 20 years or so. Um, came into this profession from teaching, uh, where I'd been there for quite a long time. I was head of a department in a secondary school. Um, but then when I had a family, decided I wanted to do something a little bit um, more part time, um, which was the idea then. And I went into learning how to be a, an ADI, passed my exams and have been running my own business since. Um, but then, as you possibly do know, got more involved. Um, one thing that I have done, um, because I always had a desire to do this, was get a degree in driver education. So I've got a master's degree um, in driver education and training, which was, that was a, a big achievement me I did it um, in a an e-learning way I only went to the university a few times um, but studied it while I was still working as an ADI um, so that's one of the things that I've done I've written some books for the industry and then I've also because I enjoyed going to conferences and um, training days I also became involved with the ADI and JC because I met a lot of people who seemed to be involved in it um, and I'm now the chair at ADI and JC, which I have been for 10 years or so. Excellent. Uh, I do actually just want to mention, uh, well, you said you've um, you've written some books. Uh, your book, it was mm -hmm. called Standards Check Success. Um, right. I read that quite early on when I became uh, an ADI, and that was, uh, I'm going to say an eye-opener for me. It, it, it just, <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, thank you for that, because I did enjoy reading that one, and it helped oh, me with great. my standards check. Um, you mentioned about the, the ADI and JC there. Um, so I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about the ADI and JC uh, and, and what they actually do. Yes, of course. Um, they've actually been around for almost 50 years, to be honest. Um, it's a national leading association for driving instructors. And when I first entered it, um, I became on the governing committee, then I became the secretary um, and then I moved on and became the chair. Um, and they've all jobs where I've had to learn, um, which has been quite exciting, really, in many respects. I've been there 10 years now as the chair. 
Um, the NJC is made up of ADIs. There are just a few who are retired ADIs, um, but they're made up of ADIs who volunteer to help. So, you know, we're not paid to do this. It is a volunteer job. We get a very small sort of honoraria at the end of the year, but it's not a salaried job. Um, so we try and support driving instructors. We keep you informed with lots of information. Uh, we try and represent instructors. And obviously, there are lots of other benefits to being part of a national association. Um, formerly, because I was a teacher, I was always involved in, in associations, and I wouldn't have dreamt of being in that profession without being. So when I came into this one, it seemed a natural thing to do. Um, and we have 8,000 or so members now. You can join us individually um, or you can join us as a group. And then the group comes on board um, and there are benefits for the group. Um, you can actually join us for free because the way our membership runs now, we have what's called light membership, where you can just go on the website, have a look, browse it and join us as a light menu, uh, uh, menu a light member. <laughs> <laughs> And as a member, um, you'd get our news flashes, so you would be kept up to date with all the information and you'd get our monthly newsletter. And that's completely free. Um, you just need to sign up on the website. Otherwise, the way most people will do it is to become a member. And that's £4 a month and that's our premium membership. Otherwise, as a group, you can join for what will become in January because we're changing this slightly for £120 a year. You can bring your group on board. Excellent. Well, I will put links to that in the, the show notes as well, so people can can at the least take a look and maybe sign up to the free one at the least. Um, well, yeah. One thing I want to mention, I'll touch back on there. You mentioned about all being volunteered, and I think that, I know I'm guilty of this, I'll be completely honest, forgetting sometimes that it's it's all voluntary and the, that you guys put a lot of time and effort into I am trying to be careful with some of my words here as well, but that, that you guys put a lot of time and effort into trying to improve our industry and doing what's right for us and helping ADIs. And yes, some people may not always agree with the way that you go about it, but you are still doing that voluntarily. Do you, what sort of feedback do you get from ADIs generally? Do you get feedback? Is it positive? Is it negative? We get a lot of feedback from ADIs and, and the majority of it, I would have to say, is very positive. And certainly, uh, particularly during COVID recently, when we did help, um, because we had more time then, of course, because we weren't out on the road as well. Uh, because I, you know, I work out on the road. I still teach a few learners and then I'm an instructor trainer. Um, so, yeah, during COVID, we did do an awful lot for people. Um, and we do generally. So we get great feedback. We get lots of emails. So we probably don't sell ourselves in that respect well enough, you know, but we are volunteers. And I think sometimes people forget that. Yes, of course, we get the slightly more negative um, comments as well. And we do our best to look at the feedback, see if there's anything we can do about it. Um, but I do wish sometimes that people would remember we do volunteer. Um, because I think they think we have endless time to do things. And, of course, we don't. We're on the road as well. Um, you might not be able to answer this one because I'm sure it will differ every week, but how much time does it take up, specifically in your role as the chair of the area? I'm going to say NJC from now on. Let's say NJC. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. <laughs> 
Um, oh, well, I was asked uh, about a year ago by the committee to sort of write out a diary of exactly what we did. Um, and that was for some of us in different roles there. Um, I can't say specifically hours wise because each day is different. But I know that I will switch my computer on at about 730 in the morning, start looking at all the emails, send them all off. Then I go out to work in between work. I come back in. I look at all the emails um, and then sometimes I'll be out at interviews with ADIs. Perhaps they've been called by the DVSA. So I'll go and support them in an interview. Lots of meetings. It's actually been quite good that they've been more by Zoom recently because I was always traveling to the meetings before. I'm on the training team as well. So we run training days. Um, but I have to say recently, um, it feels like the day ends at about nine o'clock at night or later. Um, and notoriously, the DVSA seem to send things out sometimes at nine and ten o'clock on a Friday night, um, which obviously we want to get that information out. So, yes, it does tend to take over slightly, I would say. Um, I can imagine I thought I was busy until you ran, <laughs> ran through your schedule um, because you're also chair of NASP at the moment. Uh, now, I know that that situation rolls over. I think you told me it was every six months. Is that right? The, the chair changes. So I was wondering if you could tell me also a little bit about NASP and about your role there. Okay. Um, so because I'm chair at the NJC, um, as you've just said, every six months um, we change over and we become chair at NASP. So currently I'm chair at NASP until the end of December again. Um, so that's the MSA, the DIA and the NJC. Um, so, again, there's a really good website, actually, um, which if people haven't visited before, they should go and have a look because there's a lot on there. We tend to put it on our own website, NJC1 as well. Um, but you should really go on and have a look at NASP because there's a lot on there. So NASP are the steering group for all the national associations. So, you know, we're trying to promote road safety. We're looking after the interests of ADIs and sort of supporting the profession, really, um, just to try and improve driving standards and, and training. Um, we're tier one stakeholders, which means that we meet with DVSA on a regular basis. And then we, we actually run the meetings, NASP do, because um, sometimes we're asked by DVSA to attend a meeting, but we hold our own NAS meetings, write up um, reports for them afterwards, and those are all on the website so people can view them. So sometimes that's the first time that information does come out when NASP send out their reports. I think, I mean, for example, something new that's just happening, which might be of interest, is that the other day I attended a first um, board meeting for the DVSA. So the new chief executive, I think, would like NASP to sometimes be in those board meetings. So we were invited as guests for an hour, which was actually um, really interesting. Haven't attended one of those before. So, um, yeah, we, we do speak to the DBSA on a regular basis. Um, just a, a couple of things you mentioned there that I just, I'd like to clarify, mm -hmm. if I may. Um, you mentioned that uh, the, 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 the chairperson, Chip, uh, rotates every six months. Is that? Does that rotate across the three associations? Yeah, so the next people in the chair will be the DIA and then it will go back to the MSA after that and then we repeat it. And I think I'm right in this, so you might be able to correct me. Uh, was, was NAS formed because the DVSA didn't want to liaise with a host of different associations wanting to liaise with, with one primary? Well, I think um, 
our industry has always been really sort of fragmented and split, if you like. There, there are lots and lots of much smaller groups and associations. Um, and originally, NAS did have other people in it as well, but it's come down to the three leading associations. And you can read about how it was formed and the history of it on the site. Um, but it's three of us now. And yes, because they want to liaise with us as stakeholders. We are the stakeholders for driving instructors, really. Yeah. Um, okay, so so going forward throughout this podcast, uh, I'm going to do my best to specify whether I'm referring to NASP or the NGAC yeah. or yourself. <laughs> if I confuse yeah. any of the three, please, please jump in and tell me. But I think I might get confused. It depends which hat you want me to have on when I give my answers. But Yeah, well, I'll try and be as, as clear as I can with that. But yeah. the... The one thing you mentioned there that you spoke about the sort of the, almost a communication between NASP and the, the DVSA and how you've recently been on the board meeting. Do you feel that 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 relationship, that communication, that liaising is as strong as it's been? Is it is it stronger? Is it weaker? You know, what are you happy with the level of communication you've got at the moment with the DVSA? I think we've got more communication now than we probably have had in the past in many respects. Yes. Um, quite happy with the level of the communication you've probably if you've read our reports and things realize that we don't think the communications from DVSA have always been good and that they're communicated in the best way or in the best time but certainly we um, can liaise with them we've got contacts there we can go to to ask queries and questions so there's no issues with that anymore Um, so yeah it's it's quite a sort of open relationship but but obviously they've got their job to do and we have ours to do. And I think sometimes driving instructors forget that the DVSA are government run. So a lot of the decisions made by DVSA will actually come from government um, in the first place. And they'll be told by governments um, what they need to be doing. Um, maybe I'm asking the wrong person with this question and I'm not sure, but could that not be made clear? For example, with the, the recent scrapping of the, the B&E tests, um, that's come out as a, a DVSA decision. That's how it was put out there. Um, you know, the, the implication and the, the idea behind it, you know, stands out as being a government thing. But that's never been stated. So is there a way that the DVSA could state that? Honestly, don't know. And I don't know if they'd be able to. Yeah. Let's put it like that. Um, I'd have to get them on to ask them, I suppose, with that one. Um but just regarding that communication aspect, I do want to touch on one specific thing, and I'm sure I can guess where I'm going here. Um, and that's back to the the what I delicately refer to as a standards check fiasco, uh, the way that was released by the the DVSA, and then obviously NAS yeah. uh, released their um, almost like a statement detailing their communications. And it it feels like NAS was almost, for lack of a better word, undercut slightly there. Um, mm. I wondered if you could. Uh, almost expand on that slightly. I know you're the chair of us, but I don't understand anything you can add to that. Or... Yeah, I mean, it was certainly we knew that they had um, certain plans that they wanted to carry out. Um, and let's be honest, pass rates actually have been used for years to determine whether we get standards checks or not. I don't know whether people actually realise that, but they have been um, because it isn't just about your... Um, standards check coming every four years I know people who got very good grades but then were suddenly being called for standards checks and when we checked out why it was because they got consistently low pass rates 
So pass rates have always been used, but then we became aware that the DVSA wanted to begin to use those even more. What we weren't aware of was the date they were going to sort of release that. I think they showed us about a day or two days before. Um, and also the actual way the communication came out, because I think it just panicked driving instructors. And obviously since this, we have had several meetings with DBSA and made all this extremely clear. And we are awaiting at the moment, don't know when they're coming, some better communications about the standards check. Um, to be honest, when we first talked to them about it, it was put to us in a way that um, made it feel as if it would help ADIs and it would be of value to them, you know, to have these engagement calls to um, help people who were struggling, because no doubt there are some instructors. Having seen lots of the figures, I, I don't see personal data, but I've seen lots of the figures. There are instructors who need extra help um, for sure. Um, but the way it came out was confusing, misleading and just panicked people um, and was was badly done. I would agree with that. I think that I obviously speak to a lot of, I shouldn't say the word obviously, I speak to a lot of instructors and mm -hmm. that's a lot of the things I'm saying. There's a lot of mixed opinions out there and I get a lot of people talking about it on this show. And I think every time I speak to someone, my opinion shifts slightly. But do you think that something like that, something that, that potentially has the the risk to to confuse and to cause concern would be better being released from the DVSA to the associations and then the association sending it out so that they you know you could then have almost chance to ask your questions first. I think it should probably have come to us with more notice um, and then we could have um, helped more. Um, and that's the point we've made. Um, I, I think you know, they're quite within their rights. That, you know, they are the regulator. They're within their rights to send out what they want to send. Uh, but if they'd showed us more, we could probably have helped with those communications. The only thing I, I really do feel about standards checks is that ADIs seem to get them out of all proportion. Um, you know, I had a, a gentleman write in the other day who says he hasn't slept since this news came out. He sent for his what we call crystal report, you know, his test data. Um, he thinks he's going to hit some of those indicators. He can't sleep. He's stressed out. Having said that, the particular person I'm talking about was a grade A, obviously did really well in his standards check. Why do people get so terribly worked up about the standards check? It, it, to me, you don't need to. I, I think we've all got to get more used to being... Um, for want of a better word, just observe while we're doing our job. Uh, we shouldn't be as frightened of it as we are. We should understand if we're doing a good job, know we are, and be able to be watched while we're doing it. And I think that's something that we all sort of fear in this industry far too much. Um, it is a normal lesson that's being observed. So if you get a good normal lesson, you should be able to do your standards check well. And I just feel that for somebody not to be sleeping for nights on end, worrying about it, you know, you can't live your life like that. So I do think people are getting this slightly out of proportion. You think there's an element of the way people look at it? I suppose I'm asking you with your uh, Lynn Barry hat on now. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a way, element of way people look at it, as in you could look at it as in, right, if I fail this three times, I've lost my career, or you can look at it as, well, this is a way that I can improve. Do you think that, that that's a part of yeah. that? 
And of course, yeah, the glass is half empty, half full thing, yeah. really, isn't it? And of course, actually, the DVSA have only ever had to give us one chance at a standards check. Legally, that's all we, we can have. They've always given us three. Um, and I believe that, you know, if somebody fails the first one, well, first of all, get the help before the first one. Just make sure you're up to date. Um, and then if you fail, did fail the first one, come and get some help. But most people... Um, or a lot of people that come to me, Aslin Barry, to help them, um, are on a third attempt, you know, and the third attempt is in two weeks' time. Well, it's too well, it's not too late because we can still help people, but that's not the preferable way to do it at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I concur what you said there. I think that there's a lot of people that are that seeing it and panicking it. And I know when I first saw that email, it was almost out of the blue. You know, there yeah. was no inklings of it. I know, like you said, yeah. NASP had, had, had been spoken to about it, but there was no inklings about it there. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, again, the way that first one's worded was largely almost, right, there's a waiting list on it. It's all your fault, you know. I'm exaggerating yes. slightly, but... Yeah. Um, and, I, and since then, I've been taking uh, sort of a look at communications uh, between the DVSA and driving instructors. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to think it's it's quite poor in a lot of areas. And I don't think it's all the DVSA's fault. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's ways for us instructors to check stuff. You know, I'm a big advocate of personal responsibility. You know, I'm running a podcast here. People can listen to this. I, you know, it's two shows a week. People can come and check out news. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's emails that get sent out. People can go onto the, the ADI NGSC website and check out there. There's other, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's all this stuff out there that we can yes. go and search for. Yeah. But. I also believe that the DVSA could be doing a lot better. I think there's more areas that they can reach. What, where do you think the DVSA could improve in relation to their communications? And, and drive, or do you think they could improve with those communications? I definitely think they can improve. But I think, think since Love Day Rider, the new CEO's come in, she has tried to make a start at that by sending out more personal letters, by reaching out to ADIs and talking to them more. Um, It's nice to know that, as far as I know to date, she's coming to our conference um, next weekend um, and that she has invited us on to a lot more meetings and has actually attended the NAS meetings, whereas previous CEOs haven't, to be fair. Um, So I think communications will start to get better, but these things don't happen overnight and it's NASP's job to keep pointing out what we feel could be done better and then hopefully we will get better communications but you are right um there are a lot of ADIs who just because you can get very insular in this especially if you just work alone and are self-employed so the issue there is that they're just doing their own job they tend not to see all this information but burying your head about it doesn't work and you know ADIs do need to find out about the industry and what's happening in their industry and there are lots of ways they can do that um I think with the with the standards check it's about confidence because there are some ADIs who are probably overconfident and perhaps aren't as good as they think they are and there are some who are really good but aren't confident and when I help people with standards checks, that's sort of one of the first things that comes across and, and how we have to deal then with the training and what training we're doing. Um, and it, it is a sort of confidence thing. It's a personality thing. And of course, you've got so many different people in this industry and they've all come, every single one of them, from other jobs as well. 
So thanks for listening to the Instructor Podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode with Lynn Barry. Just taking a moment to pause and first of all to say you know, thank you for listening. We appreciate you choosing this podcast to listen to and also to tell you how you can get more Instructor Podcast goodness. First of all, head over to the Facebook group. It's um, You can find it by searching for the Instructor Podcast. You can even find it just by going to the show notes. As well as that, you can get even more instructor stuff over at patreon.com forward slash the instructor. You can find that link in the show notes as well. That's where you'll find a wealth of additional material, including the full-length green rooms rather than the short ones and loads of bonus content as well. On top of that, you'll also get all the regular shows ad-free and early, which is always a little bonus for you. And you'll also know that this week, or hopefully you know that this week, I did a six-hour podcast extravaganza. That's going to be broken down, edited, and put into Patreon as uh, six bonus episodes, essentially, which is why you'll notice when I'm talking now, my voice sounds slightly different. But enough of that for now. Make sure you go check out patreon.com forward slash instructor, and let's get back to myself and Lynn Barry. Yeah. And and I, I concur with what you're saying there. I know I mentioned before, but I do think ADIs have to take some personal responsibility. But I also think, and I forget I spoke to about this the other day, but they put it this way, that there's almost uh, some missing ADIs, the the ones that, that just do the job. And there's nothing wrong with that. But because they just do the job, they're not in the Facebook groups. They're not listed to podcasts. They're not signed up to the association. So they're almost missing until they might get that standards check letter through or the, the, the odd email that might open to DVSA, mm. how do you think that we could reach them? I mean, could there be something that's almost like a, a mandatory newsletter or email you have to sign up for, to from NASP when you you know renew your badge every four years? And I was just, just throwing that out there. Well, NASP, how... isn't in, well NASP isn't in control of you yeah. um, signing up for your badge every four years. That's DVSA. Um, I don't know that they'd ever make something like that mandatory, but I mean, uh, really anybody working in this industry, you would hope, would be able to um, best do that. And it could catch people out because if you don't know what's happening, then yes, things can catch you out, can't they? So yeah. um, this is about CPD, isn't it? It's about continuous professional development. And lots of us, that doesn't have to be onerous, expensive. It can just literally be opening, you know, the news flashes, the, the newsletters, listening to your podcast and just keeping up to date with things. But personally, I believe every ADI should be doing that and that that should be mandatory for sure. Yeah, uh, I will concur with that. I think CPD is my hobby horse at the minute. It's my mm. little soapbox to stand on. Um, the other thing I, I want to touch on with NASP Um and I suppose this in, includes the, the, the associations as well, is the communication from NASP uh, and what role NASP plays in relation to ADIs. Because if NASP is, and this is sort of my curiosity, um, yeah. if NASP is made up sort of primarily of those three associations, the NJC, uh, DIA and MSA, and they'll all have slightly different takes on things, I'm sure. So... Yeah. If so, what role has NASP got for the ADIs if each of those associations may have slightly different takes on things? Does that does that question make sense? Oh, of course, yes, it makes perfect sense. Of course, we have different takes on things, but we um, are open to discussions. So we have our own meetings, we have discussions amongst ourselves. Sometimes we have to reach, well, yes, then we will, you know, we'll agree to this or whatever. Um, but if one of the parties didn't agree, then it would go out as 
um, as a NASP item, but for example, NJC did not agree with this. And in the past, on a couple of occasions, that has happened, uh, but not recently. Okay, cool. Um, I'll cover a couple of things I want to touch on with NASP. Um, with your NASP hat on, is uh, audit training. Now, this is something I'm I'm not a trainer. I'm not uh, an audit trainer. I've been completely honest for a moment. I've no intention of going down that road. That's not my desire. But it does interest me that um, it's not mandatory. So, you know, I could go and train people without being audit trained. Um, do you think that, or I suppose, actually, no, I'm going to phrase that slightly differently. Does Lynn Barry and does NASP think that that should be mandatory? Hundred percent, yeah, definitely. Um, I I believe that if you're going to have good ADIs, the people who train them have got to be the best people. Um, and if you have only got to have been doing the job for you know a year yourself, and then you can start training other people, um, I'm sorry, but I just don't think that that's the best way forward. It doesn't mean that somebody has to be doing the job for years to do it, but I do think you need to look at people's prior learning and accredit what they've done, and that there should be um, certain qualifications that the trainers should have. Um, and that their CPD should be well kept up. And then, of course, you have to pass the audit assessment, um, which is no easy thing because you've got to pass it at an A. Um, and although obviously it's doable, um, not without some work and understanding what it is you're going to be doing. So I do think the audit register has started to get better again. But yes, of course, it should be mandatory. My understanding is that the only way it could be mandatory is for there to be figures, etc., on audit trainers showing that they do get better results. Hence, I think the um, standard check sheet now where it says, do, have you got an audit trainer and the, the number of the audit trainers taken? That is the beginning of that process. So that things are being looked at in the hope that audit trainers are getting better results. Um, and then audit might in the future become mandatory. But we've been asking for that for years. And yes, it's certainly a way this industry's got to go, definitely. That That's really interesting. So in that sense, it's almost as if the DVSA is, is I don't like the word, but tracking audit trainers the same way they, they're going to be tracking instructors. And then yeah, using... that's no, yeah, definitely. And that's no secret, is it? Because we know that when they when anybody goes for their part three or their standards check, they're asked if they've done any training and with the part three, if it's been done through an audit trainer and then the number's logged. Yeah. And I would imagine that, you know, if they get that data together over a couple of years and see that the, the people coming in by audit trainers, if there's a significant difference in standard, that's then going to sway them more towards um making it mandatory so yeah anyone that's an audit trainer make sure you're getting those those stats in um yeah so again you said you've been pushing for that which is is great um the other thing i wanted to touch on is the the bna b i'm useless with acronyms b and e test yes that one yes uh that being scrapped okay. now again yeah. It appears that that's not something that the, the NJC or NASP are in favour of. I know the NJC has been uh, suggesting that we reach out to our local MPs and, mm -hmm. you know, talk there. And it's something that I've done and it's I put links on the show before for, for other ADIs to do. Do you think there's still a chance that, that that could be turned around at any point or do you think it's it's set in stone now? 
Um, I doubt very much it will be turned around. And I think it's fairly obvious to everybody why it's happened, because we have this huge um, backlog of getting people through tests for the um, lorries. We've got um, not enough lorry drivers and basically other things have had to suffer because of that. And that's exactly how I see it. Um, and I don't mind saying that. And I'm sure that's the reason that it's gone. So the test has been taken away. Um, not that at this point we've actually seen a sort of risk assessments linked to that. Um, interestingly, the letter that we wrote to the minister as NAS, Baroness Veer, um, I've had a reply to yesterday. We'll be sending that out. Um, and from that, um, I was invited as NASP um, onto a meeting last week, um, which is a group that is looking at setting up a sort of accredited training and assessment scheme, because I think that's going to be the way that we're going to have to go. I mean, to think that people will be allowed just to take off with a horse box with a live animal in it or a caravan that's huge and they don't know what they're doing. We've all seen what happens on motorways when people in caravans are going too fast and they start snaking around. It's really scary. And that's with training. Heavens knows what's going to happen when we don't have training um, and an assessment. So I just feel the safety of this is absolutely dreadful. Um, and so therefore, um, NJC started to look at, and we're doing it together as NASP now, um, a sort of accredited course with training and a, an e-learning e sort of joined in with it. Um, because I think it's too soon for trainers of B plus E to give up. If that was me, I wouldn't have sold the trailer yet and said, that's it, that's the end of my business. Because I know, for example, um, on our committee, we have Terry, who is also vice chair of the Trailer and Towing Association. And he says he actually contacted all the people that had booked in with him, talked to them all about training and how important it was. And he's got work running in well into next year. So don't give up yet. The B plus E test, as we know, it may have gone, but I think it will be replaced by something else, hopefully. And that's underway at the moment. It's what we've been working on. Do you think there's an element there? Because I know a lot of people are giving up. I know that a lot of businesses have, have, have gone under. Um, I know that people have had to refund people. But I also know that, as you touched on there, some instructors uh, have just kind of said, OK, right, I'm done. Do you think there's an element here of instructors feeling like they've had a bit of a kicking you know we had all that time over lockdown where we've got little to no income um then we move on and we get this news about the standards check which however almost spin uh, i don't mean that in a bad way but whatever spin you put on it it's not necessarily nice news uh, yeah. especially when it come out and then we have this regarding the the b plus c tests do you think there's an element here of instructors just feeling like they've had a kicking over the past two years I think we have had a kick in over the past two years. I mean, now we're trying, hopefully it's nearly over, but we're all trying to search for fuel and know whether we've got fuel for the next pupil and who we're saving fuel for and who we're not. It's just been an absolutely terrible two years, really. Um, so, yeah, I think there is an element of that. And, and people are feeling quite sort of, they're still feeling quite down and your energy levels have probably gone um, and it's hard to get yourself back up. But personally, I'm not a giver-upper. Um, if something, you know, kicks me down, then I'll just think, right, well, what am I going to do now? How am I going to change this, make it different? I mean, those people in the training have still got an ADI qualification. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that their trailer job has gone at the moment. I think hang on in there. 
for a little while longer, because I think we need just to make sure that the public understands the importance of training um, and that you don't just put a caravan on the back of your car and off you go without knowing what you're doing with it. So I would hope that people would still want to come and do that training, but it's up to us to enlighten them about it and make them aware about what will be coming up. And I think there will be something that will come. Um, I, I want to touch back on two things there briefly and, and feel free maybe not mm. to answer this one if you don't want, but the, the B plus C thing, um, do you think that was a DVSA decision or do you think that was a government decision? <laughs> Um, I would feel fairly sure, I think I can say this, that it would have been a government decision. It's come from government, hasn't it? Because they need to get as many lorry drivers. Therefore, they need to take the examiners away from other areas in order to um, have enough examiners for lorries. And I did hear as well that the army are going, and that went out in the newsflash we sent out, that the army were going to work, the examiners for the army are going to work together with the DVSA examiners so that we've got more examiners. Uh, I think uh, if you read between the lines, yeah. it's pretty clear what's gone on. I don't say I agree with what's no. gone on, but I, I don't think we're going to turn this round now. I think we're going to have to make the best of what we've been left with here. But I, I really... Uh... I kind of touched on this before. I really, it's just a personal thing. I really wish that the devious, I know they probably can't, but I wish they'd say that, you know, and, and steer some of the flack away from them because as much as, as much as, um, I don't agree with everything the DVSA does, I think they do a really hard job. You know, they, they don't, you know, they're only going to get, it's like, um, examiners. You know, examiners, students only like them when they pass. You know, <laughs> they're always going to get them people that are going to give them flack. Anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent there because we were speaking road safety. Um, and I would be interested to know what, mm. I suppose, NASP, what you would, what changes you would like to see going forward, whether it's sort of um, to the driving test, to the theory test, to, to rules on the road, to the way that the industry is run. I know I'm giving you quite a broad thing there, but. What, what changes would you like to see going forward? And, and I suppose I mean, there almost... are quite, quite a lot of changes coming, aren't there? We've got changes to the highway code in the way that we do things, in the fact that pedestrians, cyclists, the vulnerable people are going to have more priority in a way. Um, we've, we've really got to think. I think the problem with COVID is we've all been so busy dealing with it that we've gone off the, you know, certain things have gone on the back burner a little bit. So... Um, the fact that electric cars will, you know, be coming into the industry more. How's that going to affect what's happening? What happens with tests, etc.? Um, even into thinking about autonomous cars and vehicles in the future. So there's all that sort of thing too. Yeah. All right. So, where do you see our industry in twelve months' time? In twelve months' time. Yeah, twelve months. <laughs> where would you see it? Uh, do you think it's more positive? Do you think there's still the? Well, I would like it... to think. Yeah, I'd like to think it will be more positive, and, and that nobody knows with COVID, do they? And I don't think it's ever going to go away. But I would hope it's something that we can all deal with, um, and will become much less scary than obviously it was at the beginning. So I think it will be much more positive. I think we'll have moved on slightly. I think we'll have accepted things more further down the line. Um, you know, and that's where I see us in. 
12 months time really okay and then i suppose one more question on that uh before we move on from that because i was asked this question specifically um and i hadn't thought of it we've got road safety week coming up in november is there anything that NASP has planned for that or is there anything that you would suggest for us ADIs that we can do around Road Safety Week? Um, there's nothing specifically that NASP has planned except sending out information to ADIs, and which we've done before when we've had Road Safety Weeks and individually as associations we'll do that as well and join in anything that we can. But I don't think we specifically have got anything planned trust me on a day-to-day basis we just about get through what we've got to do (laughs) Uh, which is mostly at the moment the b plus e um which you know again helping with that is taking time i mean i I, my personal thing on this and this is uh i suppose speaking to anyone listening right now is there anything around road safety week or or, or project edward which the dvsa work Mm -hmm. with and and you guys know i'm a fan of this is just talking about it I think that makes a massive difference because we all complain and say that enough's getting done and all right, not everyone can do something, but we talk about it. It raises awareness and that could make a difference to one person, which could make a difference to lives, essentially. I'd like to think that driving instructors could think of themselves more as road safety professionals, which we are. Um, I don't think many of them do think of themselves like that, but we are. um, And that's what we should be thinking about. Yeah, I'm going to put my thinking cap on for that one and see if we can uh, we can spread some <laughs> around that. Um, okay. I want to just uh, come back uh, to the, A- I'm going to say this correctly, the full one, the ADINJC. Uh, we're going to swap caps again. And yeah. uh, I'd like you to tell me, I'm now, I am a member initially, but I would like you to tell me why I should be a member. What are the benefits of me joining the ADINJC? Well, um, we all like to think that we're perfect out there and we're not going to get into trouble. Um, but many ADIs do um, because I see it on a daily basis. It can be simple things. It can be far more complex things. Um, it can be things that you could be a really good ADI. And unfortunately, particularly at the moment where we've had to perhaps cancel lessons or tell people they're not ready for a test, sometimes people get nasty back again. And then you get situations which um, start to deteriorate because somebody will have written to the DVSA about you. And then the next thing you know, you're being called for an interview um, to give your side of the story almost. Um, And I've attended those. um, And I know the work that the NJC does for people who need support. And it's all sorts of things um, from using telephones while we're teaching um, from using iPads when the engine's running and we shouldn't be using any electronic devices with the engine on even if we have stopped at the side of the road Um, all sorts of things to much more serious things and things that have obviously upset people in the car Um, and because the in you know nationally people are so much more aware of um, behavior between two people in a car and we're in a very small space in the car Um, there are even people complaining about things from two or three years ago. And of course, until you go to an interview, you don't know what it is that the complaint is or who has made that complaint. So you are in the dark until you get there. And then, of course, you put under caution and the whole thing is talked through and then you would get the result. Um, So going back to your question about why you should join the NJC, that's just one of the reasons, because we're there to support you. And we have a really good team who work to do that. 
would help you um, on the telephone with emails or letters and then you know help you follow the whole process through as much as it needed to be um just the news that we give out the information as well as the support and just because of the you know coming along to meetings conferences the training that we do they're all benefits for members um and i just feel it's important to be part of something where you're represented yeah I mean, my take on it is that I almost, and I need to be more proactive with my usage of this membership, but I, it's almost like a safety net. It's there for when I need it. It's like, you know, um, a lot of the emails that, that come out, I'll know a lot of the stuff anyway. But every now and again, it's like there's a little gem in there. But mm. I know it because I'm proactively looking for it. You know, if I yeah. wasn't, then that would be, I think that's a great benefit. Um, but yeah, just knowing that's there, I find that really useful. And just being able to dip in when I need something is, is very useful. Um, and I think the almost a, a final question I, I would like to, to finish up on is, You've obviously put this politely been in the game a while. Um, what do you think the differences in the industry now compared to where you've started? How has it changed? Um, I think the way in which we teach has changed. I mean, when I first came into it, I was a bit taken aback by the sort of what I call old-fashioned sort of instructor style of teaching, uh, because coming out of teaching, where I taught a practical subject and. Um, just naturally sort of coached people rather than just, you know, you do this, 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 um, because I, I'm asking you to, and then you learn it because we keep repeating it. Um, I've never liked that style of teaching. I think the whole style has changed because we've gone from the old fashioned um, sort of check test to the, which was all about fault finding um, into the new standards check, um, which is in many ways, much more, positive with the client it's more of a client-centered approach and and that's not to say that sometimes we don't need to have instructor skills and instruct and give information um but it does mean that it's a different style I think that's probably the biggest change that I've seen in that time um that I can think of right now do you think that's a positive change it sounds like mm, definitely yeah definitely Cool. Now, I know I said last question, but I'm going to ask one more on that. Um, <laughs> students, learners, um, do you think there's been a shift in, in learner attitudes over that time? Um, I'm not sure where there's been a shift in, in, in attitudes. Yeah, I mean, the reason I ask that is because yeah. um, I see, and maybe this is just what I see, but online and I'm talking like Facebook primarily but they're just the constant criticism and complaining about learners but I love mine and it's like mm. I'm just wondering if I'm unique or <laughs> or that or, or whether so much changed recently or I, I, I don't know so I'm just wondering if you'd seen a shift in in, in learner attitudes or I think sometimes there's a the only shift I can think of is the fact that so many of them seem unrealistic about and so do their parents, partners, etc. about how long it will take them to learn to drive. And then sometimes when we have to talk to them about that or that they're not ready for a test, it can get quite difficult and the conversations are difficult. You know, dad learnt in 10 lessons. Why am I taking 40? Um, and, you know, they don't respect the fact that conditions on the roads have changed so much. The test itself has changed so much. They need more time. And there's a definite link between the hours that they spend on the road before their test and the safety afterwards. Um, so 
I mean, I, I would say that, that that's something that perhaps has got more difficult to deal with. Um, and maybe that's because people haven't got the money or they, you know, the the way in which they have to wait so long to get a test and they try and take tests when they're not ready. It's all been really difficult during COVID, but that is a bit of an issue. And I think we've got to educate people around what the test involves and what they've got to know before it and, you know, keeping themselves safe afterwards as well. Um, that to me is the biggest thing about attitudes with pupils. But I mean, the pupils like you, the pupils I teach are great. Um, in 20 years, I've probably had two or three that I've just said, look, I'm sorry, I just don't think I'm the right instructor for you. You will need to find somebody else. Um, and, you know, they they did disappear because it wasn't working. Um, and only ever had one complaint from a parent because um, she started to sort of tell me too much in the car about things that were happening at home. And then she'd gone home and told her, parents that she'd spoken to me and of course they didn't like that and said they were going to report me to the DVSA so you see I've been in that position as well um it didn't get to that but it could have turned extremely nasty so safeguarding is another thing you see I, I do believe that actually we've got to improve the qualification for ADI so that they understand more about these sorts of things before they're let loose as fully qualified ADIs the business side of it Things like safeguarding, we need to know more about that before we start teaching. I would agree with that. I think there's been a couple of times over the last five years where students have, have started up and up to me or something's happened. And I'll be like, yeah, I don't know how to deal with this now. And, no, you know, well, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. And if but, you're not careful and it does turn nasty, that's when you can end up in trouble through no fault sometimes of your own. Although actually having attended all sorts of interviews and heard things that do go on, you know, we have we have had to get rid of, or at least the DBSA have had to get rid of some pretty poor ADIs. We've all seen the cases that let us down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens in all walks of life. I just, uh, a very, very quick one for you. I remember uh, when I first started, I had a, a young lady come out to the car does the lesson, gets out, finishes, she starts walking away, then she turns around and comes back. Mm. Um, and basically at the time I was with uh, Red Driving School and uh, they could choose her instructor on there and she'd chosen me because she thought I was female. She'd seen the name Terry and assumed it was a, <laughs> a girl's name. And she come back and she said, can I get in? And I'm, I'm automatically assumed I'd done something wrong. But she got in the car and said, I just want to take a moment to thank you for today. She said, I want to do female because I don't feel comfortable around men. But I was too embarrassed to say anything. And that was really struck a chord in me because I'm like, yeah, I'm picking up these essentially 17-year-old girls. And I'm sort of, now I'm actually 39 today. So there you go. But And then I'm driving Happy off. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, what's a present I've got here? <laughs> <laughs> And then I'm driving off down to potentially some country lane or quite residential exactly. estate away from where they live with this. And I never thought of it that way before. So mm. it really made me change my approach slightly. And I probably didn't need to change that much, but it was a real eye-opener for me. So, yeah, I think safeguarding is a, a big one that I don't think about or talk about enough, actually. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to now just, again, thank you for joining me today. It's, it's been a really insightful sure. conversation. Um, where can people find the ADI, NJC and NASP? Where's the best place to go? So go to the websites, um, adinjc.org.uk. 
Um, NASP is a bit more difficult. It's n slash or dash a dash s dash p dot co dot uk. Um, if you just put NASP in, you'll you'll find it in Google. You will find it. Yeah, I'll put links for that in the show notes as well. So anyone listening, you can head straight over there. And again, as I just mentioned at the start, sign up at, at the very least the free one. It's not going to do you any harm, and you'll start getting some information that's relevant and up to date. So that's all good. But no, I really appreciate you taking time, Sterling. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Can can I just mention the expo? Yeah, yes, I should have brought up during the show. <laughs> but yes, go on. Yeah. Uh, instructor Expo. Yeah. Um, so next weekend we've got the expo and conference held at the Heart of England Conference Centre. Any of you that came along last time will know what a great day that was. Last from nine till four. Um, we have well, last time I think we had about 600. I'm hoping we'll get more there this time. Um, we've got a lot of people signed up for it, and you can sign up from the website. Over 50 exhibitors. There's four dedicated rooms which will have speakers in all day long, so you can go along to those talks for free and learn as much as you like. Um, there's the live stage where we'll have debates. We've got the DDSA coming. We've got Love Day Ryder is coming along. We've got Quentin Wilson, who's our patron as well come and see us on the njc stand we've got lots of um freebie things to give away refreshments there that you can buy and some of them will be free um during the day we've got speed of sight it's our charity um giant scale electrics we've got some fun elements for you there as well if you've got children um and families do bring the children because that's absolutely fine there are things there um, at the site it's a really large area um, and it's a great place to hold an expo and conference. There's an electric vehicles area, um, things outside as well. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming and in the planning because obviously we couldn't do it last year. But this is the first opportunity that people have got to get together, see each other again in the industry. And I'm actually really excited by that. So I hope you come in along and I hope lots of the people listening to this will come along as well. Just register for free. And turn up on the day. Well, I had um oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his name now. I apologize in advance, but Richard Borges of Intelligent Instructor, he yeah. came on a few weeks ago and we promoted yeah. it during that. Uh, yeah. and he kind of set himself a little goal. He wants a thousand people through the door this time, and I think that's a great target. I've been talking about it ever since I didn't come to the last one. Uh, I am coming to this one. I'm also bringing a microphone, I'm gonna be wandering around speaking to a few oh, people great. randomly. Right, I shall see you there then. Yep, uh, but no, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I'm, okay. and one final time, uh, thank you again for your time today. That's absolutely fine. Thank you very much. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts, and game changers about what drives them. So you are still listening to the Instructor Podcast, so you've made a very wise decision to listen all the way to the end. And Lynn Barry has been kind enough to stop back to hang fire and answer these seven ever so devastating quickfire questions. Are you ready, Lynn? I'm going to give it a shot, yeah. <laughs> all right, so first of all, dog or cat? No, dog. Good choice. What's your favourite <laughs> book of all time? Oh. Of all time, I really don't know. At the moment, I'm reading uh, the Richard Osmond ones. Um, I don't know if you've seen those. They're like detective ones. I'm liking those. Of all time, I really don't know. Is that the uh, the, the Thursday Mystery Club, is it? Something like that? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Have it? Haven't read it yet. Uh, would you ever consider going vegan? No. 
Okay. No. What's yeah? Oh, maybe you'll struggle with this one. Uh, what's your favorite film of all time or currently? Um, again, of all time, I don't know because there's just so many <laughs> of them, and I like some of the older ones as well. Um, but um, I don't know. I like the James Bond films, if I'm honest. Um, I like sort of thriller things and action things. So, off to see the new one shortly. Uh, me too. I'm, I'm watching Bond today. Um, all right. So, what do you call your students? Is it students, learners, pupils, customers? Oh, maybe a couple of those. They're my learners, but then some of them, if they're a bit older, that doesn't sound quite right. So, they're my customers. They're okay. definitely customers. What's the proudest or your proudest life achievement? What would that be? Um, these are hard. Um, <laughs> well, I'm quite proud of doing a degree. Um, that was something that was really hard work, but I'm glad I did it. Um, I mean, really, my proudest achievement is probably my family. Um, you know, and what more can I say? Because I that was so very important to me. So I've got daughter who's coming up to nearly 30 and son who's around the same age. And, you know, they've, they're both fantastic. They've got families, they, they've got good jobs and we're a happy family unit. And I couldn't really ask for much more than that. That's probably my biggest achievement. Excellent. And then the last one, uh, one goal, tell me something you'd like to achieve going forward. It can be anything. Mm, yeah. I want a bit more time. <laughs> <laughs> Stop um, doing these podcasts then. You could have had an hour well, of reading. Yeah. Um, no, I just want to get a bit more time back, having spent this long with the NJC. I am not leaving the NJC, but I won't be um, chair next year. I'm standing down as chair next year. Ten years is enough for anybody to do that. Um, and so the NJC will carry on and I shall be there and I'll help in whatever way I need to. But I am just hoping that I get a bit more time back. And in that time, uh, maybe I would like to do the sorts of things which I enjoy doing, which are the writing the books and writing an audit book and things like that. That That's really what I'd like to do. Well, congratulations on your 10-year tenure. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Admittedly, I've only read the one. Uh, I will be purchasing the coaching one today because I was uh, having a scroll through preparation. Like, yes, I need I need to read another one. So anyone that's listening, do recommend you go and check them out. Um, but, but, no, really appreciate your time again today, Lynn. That's Thank you very fine. much.